Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. I'm telling you, lots of stuff in the news this week, all about big data Mm -hmm. and big data privacy. It's been everywhere, and it's been a problem that has been brewing for a while. It's engulfing all of Silicon Valley, Facebook, Google, and everything else. And we'll, we'll talk quite a bit about that and what the implications are going forward, because big data has become a huge, huge issue. And, of course, there is, uh, there's many other things going on in the news. There's something called Li-Fi, which mm-hmm. is a replacement for Wi-Fi, where they actually send your uh, signal through the light bulbs, which is actually... That's interesting. That's pretty ingenious when you think about it. It is pretty ingenious because, look, I'm, I'm sitting here in my house with all of these LED light bulbs under wireless control. There's no reason why we couldn't make each one of those light bulbs an emitter mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. and just and just modulate the light. And so more efficient. And so people are doing that. And so we'll talk about Li-Fi as the as the idea of the week. Today we're going to feature Rakesh Agra, Agrawal. Rakesh Agrawal. He is the father of data mining. Hmm. Now, why are we doing that? I don't know. Why are we doing that? Because data mining is the key issue here with big data and what Silicon Valley is doing with our data. Because mm-hmm. data mining techniques have made this data have made the public so susceptible to manipulation that big data and data mining have become issues. And Rakesh Agrawal is the father of data mining, so I thought you'd want to hear all about him. And, of course, it's been a huge, huge mailbag. Hang on a second here. There we go. Wait a minute. Where'd it go? A mailbox. There it is. Let's, let's try that one more time. Oh, Mr. We, Big Voice, come on. We deserve yeah. the entire we certainly full do. Monty here. It just takes just a second. He's putting down the cigarette. Put that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. Here he goes. There's a letter in your mailbox. There you go. Okay. He's. You know. He's not going to get much of a bonus this year with he that kind of performance. I don't think he should have been planning on anything. Um, that's what I'm thinking. We got an email from Alex in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I started using the Chrome browser after you discussed its new ad blocking features. Unfortunately, the browser will not play any sound, even for my YouTube videos. And sometimes I want to listen to sound. How can I fix this problem, Alex and Fairfax? Well, Alex, you can very easily fix the problem. This this actually happened to me one time. I did just stop playing, uh, just stop playing uh, sound. So you can simply open up the Chrome b- browser, and then you want to open up the settings. There, those are these three vertical dots in the upper right hand corner. Click on those three vertical dots, and then there a menu will come up. Scroll down to the bottom of the menu and click Advanced, because this is an advanced kind of adjustment. Then once the advanced window comes up, scroll all the way down to the bottom of that, and there's a section called Clean Up and Restore. So first of all, click the Reset button, and that will reset everything in the browser back to its default condition, and everything works then. And it could also be that you have gotten some kind of malware in the browser or something. So then after you've done the reset, click Clean Up Computer, and that will get rid of any sort of nefarious software that may have been affecting your Chrome browser, and that should fix your problem. By the way, now I've switched from Internet Explorer to Chrome, and that new ad blocking um, feature is really nice. What Google did, and I think it was really smart, because I I, I had been using on on my um, on my browsers a program called Ad Blocker, and I was just blocking all the ads. 
And Google, of course, makes money on ads, and they realized that more and more people, I mean, it was upwards of 20% of the people were blocking all the ads, and that really cuts into Google revenue. So they said, we've got to do something about this, and I think they, they, they did something very clever. The problem with ads and why people block them is that they're so obtrusive. You, you go to a web page, and then you wait and wait and wait for it to load. And you can't scroll through the web page until the stinking ad loads. And then the ad may have some sort of animation, some kind of pop-up, some kind of music. It's very annoying, and it destroys, really, the browsing experience. So what Google did, they said, this is we're going to write standards for well-behaved ads. They have to load certain speed. They can't play sound automatically. They can't pop up. They can't do this. And there were certain they can't cover more than a certain percentage of the screen. And they had a whole series of requirements that they would place on ads uh, in order to um, meet, in, in order for them, in order for the ad to meet the Google standard. And then what the ad blocker does, if anybody delivers ads that don't meet the, the Google approved standard, it blocks them. Now, that gives all the vendors an incentive to fix their ads and make them so they're not as obtrusive. And once I went to Google Chrome, you know, the loads the pages started loading faster. I didn't have these obtrusive ads. So I'm sort of um, hooked on Google Chrome now because it's just made, it just made my browsing experience much more pleasant. And they are cleaning up the, the Internet. Now, I still have this privacy issue because Google Chrome, they want you to log on with your Gmail account. They track everything you're doing. So... Um, I'd moved away from Google Chrome because I didn't like the obtrusive invasion of privacy that Google was doing with me, but I'm back with Chrome now because of this ad block feature. And I do actually approve of ads because there's a lot of content on the Internet that I like to read, and content generation isn't free. So if there's a, a, a web page that I like and I like the content, I have no problem with that web page earning revenue because they're delivering ads to me. And so I think it's um, it's a good compromise on how to deal with ad advertising on the Internet. We got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got an iPhone 7S and inadvertently deleted all my notes. Um, and then I saved it. Then I saved the notes, which meant I, I, I basically saved an empty file. So these notes went all the way back to 2001. I need to get them back. What are my options? Enjoy the show live here in Bowie. Well, Jim, you you can't basically um, restore from your current backup because your current backup has an empty notes folder. So you have to go back to a previous to a previous backup. Now, one of the problems is you've got a 7S. It could be some of your previous backups are for another version of the iPhone, like an iPhone 6S, for instance, and. Your 7S is not going to restore from a, you know, from a, um, it won't restore from a different operating system. So if you've got a higher level operating system in your 7S than you had in your 6S, it won't, it won't restore. Also, the way the iPhone restore works, it's either all or nothing. You actually have to restore the entire backup. You can't just restore one file. And you may have made changes to your iPhone, and you don't want to restore the whole backup. You just want to restore one file. So you don't have an option if you use the, if you use the, um, uh, you know, the iPhone restore features. So uh, you know you'll have to get some third-party software. You search around. There are quite a few that are available. Here are a couple. Phone Rescue is one. Phone Rescue for iOS. It's forty-nine dollars. You download it, and then you can you can you can you can basically restore one file you can restore the message file uh, or the notes file and that and the, the name of the file is either going to be notes.sqlite or notesstore.sqlite so anyway the both of the file names have notes in it so you'll be able to locate them there's also another uh, restore program called anytrans for iOS it's $39 now anytrans is nice in that it's sort of a data management system it allows you to transfer data from one phone to another it allows you to actually do things. It's, it's really almost a content management system. So AnyTrans has more capacity than Phone Rescue uh, for just manipulating the data on your iPhone. But either one of those will will allow you to get your single notes file restored, and then you can you know just copy it to your to your iPhone, and you'll be good to go. 
We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Dr. Shirts, and hey, Jim. Look at that. But no, no Mr. Very Big Voice. Well, because Mr. Big Voice is quite forgettable. I think. That, that must be it. Yeah. Thanks so much for the past help on my computer-related inquiries. Your analysis and answers have been wonderful in solving many of my confusions and problem-solving dilemmas. My new question, can you send text messages from a computer to a cell phone? And if so, can the computer receive a reply from a person's cell phone as well? You know, Can you, you know, go back and forth? Where on the Internet can I get up-to-date information on this SMS gateway that has to be used to talk to the, uh, talk to the, um, compute, talk to the cell phone? You've got the best broadcasting computer, broadcasting computer show out there. Thanks. Doug in, in our Bat- price range. In our price range. <laughs> Doug Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's right. Okay, text messages, Doug, as you know, can be sent from personal computer to any mobile device via a gateway either an SMS gateway or a multimedia message service gateway. And you can send them from, and all the mail clients are basically sent, set up to send to those gateways. So you can send them from Outlook or from Thunderbird or from any of the, or from Apple Mail. Any of the, any of the um, common mail services will support sending email to these, to these gateways. Now, what the gateways, now, now you, you have to send the message as ASCII text only. Because it's expecting a text message. So if you send it in HTML or non-ASCII characters, it'll just be gibberish on the cell phone. And But most of your um, email clients are going to handle that for you because it's going to recognize you're sending it to an SMS gateway. Now, the SMS gateways, they handle just straight traditional text messages. So you're limited to 140 characters. It's text only, no pictures. If you send it to an MMS gateway, a multimedia messaging service gateway, then you can send pictures and you can send, you know, you you can send. Uh, Oops, sorry. Is Mr. Big Voice playing? I was playing? queuing up stuff or something later for us later and it played, of course. I'm so, not having a good morning over here. <laughs> so you can so you can send it to the MMS gateway. Now you can also send text messages to the MMS gateway. So I'd recommend just send everything to the MMS gateway and you're set. Now each of the carriers has different uh, has a different domain for their uh, for their gateways, and they all have the same formula. You take the phone number; it's basically you take the ten-digit phone number. You don't have the country code, so let's say, and then you uh, and then you uh, treat it as an email address. So, for instance, I would do seven zero three one 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 two 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 two. That's the phone number, and I'd say ampersand at, and then I would have. The domain name of the MMS gateway. So let's talk about the ATT MMS gateway. It would be mms.att.net. So I would just take the phone number, the 10-digit phone number, at mms.att.net. And you could just send uh, any, you could send a picture there, you could send a text message, and it would be received by the cell phone. And when the cell phone answers, it's going to come right back to your email account. So you can actually have direct connection right there. Now, if you want to use, say, the T-Mobile uh, MMS gateway. It's called tmomail.net, and that's the MMS gateway. That happens to be also the SMS gateway, so they've got one domain name for both of them. So it would be the phone number at tmomail.net if you want to do T-Mobile. If you want to do Verizon Wireless, you do the phone number, 10-digit phone number, at vzwpix.com. Now, here's the deal. You can. I've got a whole table here, which I'm going to post but yes, if, you do. But if you want to find the table yourself, just Google SMS Gateway Wikipedia. And they've got Wikipedia's got a great article on SMS gateways and the table of MMS gateways and SMS gateways that I'm going to post on Monday is actually in that Wikipedia article and it's pretty accurate. It was and they keep updating it and it's got it's got Project Phi, T-Mobile, Sprint, US Cellular, Virgin Mobile, it's got all of the all of the main ones, and so it's actually quite quite good. Now, here's the uh, it's now you, you don't the thing with text messages. There's no subject line like there is in email, so the subject line just goes into your character like it's part of the message. So, uh, what I do when I send uh, a message to you know to one of these gateways from my computer, I just leave the subject line blank, and I just fill out the whatever message I want to have and just ship it off. 
The other thing you have to be mindful of, some of the uh, some of the business email accounts have these big disclaimers at the bottom, don't use the data for this or that and some long deal. So that whole thing goes. So if you're sending it to a uh, you know to, to an SMS gate when you only got 140 characters, you you may want to truncate all that stuff at the bottom of the email and just send the 140 characters. So just go, just Google Wikipedia SMS Gateway, and you'll get the whole list right there. Uh, we got an email from uh, Donna in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I've been hearing about Facebook selling my data and, my pri- and that my privacy cannot be assured. How can I best protect myself from Facebook data abuses? <laughs> or, do I, or do I just need to leave Facebook altogether? Say, don't be on Facebook. Love, love the show, Donna. Well, you should be concerned, Donna, because Facebook's been up to some nefarious business with your data. They're basically selling it, making money on your data, monetizing the data. I mean, actually, you realize nothing's free. So Facebook has to make money. And and how do they make money? They make money by collecting your data, figuring out the kind of stuff you like to buy, and then then different vendors – will use that database to deliver ads to you that that they believe are targeted to the stuff you buy. So so they sell ads using very targeted data. Then they also just sell your data to third parties and they can use it for anything like political elections, like or the or anything they want or or, or psychometric analyses and so they all they sell your data and they also use the data to deliver ads. And that's how Facebook makes money. And so they're they they're not really a charity. So you expect them that, that they would that they'd have to make money somehow. So this is the how you can protect yourself from uh, abuses on uh, on Facebook. First of all, don't do any of these fun quizzes. Oh yeah. Or apps because anytime you do these fun quizzes, you're you're basically giving uh, this little small print, and you're giving the rights of the people that are doing the quiz to all of your data. You're also giving the rights to all of your friends' data, because they, 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 this is this is the way Facebook does it. If you, you know, you, you, you share your friends' data too, and so, so you don't want to take these quizzes, and you, and you don't want to have any kind of apps where you're answering questions. Just don't do any of those, because the only reason they have that is to have an excuse for you to opt in, so they can steal your data. Now, also, you want to change your privacy settings. Now. The uh, now you see the reason that what I was saying when you take these these little quizzes online, you're basically overriding your privacy settings because you've given them permission to take your data, so you don't want to do that. But then you want to have your you know your default privacy settings set so that you know everybody can't see what you've got going on. And so there's what you want to do to manage your privacy settings. You 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 tap the drop down arrow on the top right side of the Facebook and choose settings. And then select privacy. And here you can control who sees your posts, who sees your phone number, who sees your friend requests, and more. Now, I would certainly set your phone number and your friend requests and other things so that only you can see that data. You know, there's there's really no no reasons for um, you know for you know your you know for people to see everything. So I would restrict most everything so only you see it. And the only things you want other people to see might be your posts. So you can decide to do that. Because you see, if you share your data with friends, if your friends take a quiz, they're sharing all your data. So you've got to be careful. Okay, the, the next point, if you want to keep safe on Facebook, is beware who your friends are. Yeah. Because if they, if they don't have strict privacy settings, then all the photos and all the stuff that you're tagged in and things that are in their news feed are going to just, you know, be scooped up by these unscrupulous data people. So control your friends. If you don't really know people or you don't know what they're doing, just you, you don't you don't need to have them. So just don't get a whole bunch of friends that you don't know very well. And suggest to your friends that they should limit their privacy settings to protect you. And you want to you avoid all third-party apps. Like, have you ever noticed, like you might be with, uh, say, Waze, and Waze will do something. That would like, be you, not me. Yeah, I love Waze. I know you but, do. But he gives me a choice. He says, would you like to log in using your Facebook account? I never do that. I log in using my email and a password that I've created. Mm-hmm. Because if you log into an app using your Facebook account or using your LinkedIn account or using some other account, you're basically giving 
that application access to all of your data, all of your friends' contacts and everything, and you don't know what they're doing Didn't with it. Didn't know that. That's, yeah. a, that's a good point. So do not, do not use these automated logons for any third-party apps. Now, you can also turn on, to, to give yourself some extra security, because you don't, if somebody tries to steal your account, this is for identity theft, you can set up so that if anybody logs into your Facebook account from a, a computer that's never been used before, you get a notification. Hey, there's some computer in Thailand just logged into your account. You get a notification. And then you might want to take action. You can also turn on two-factor authentication, which I highly recommend. It'll keep your so that even if somebody does have your password, there's a there's a code that's sent to your cell phone, and then you've got to put in the code that comes to your cell phone in order to finally log on, and that's the second factor, the code that's sent to the cell phone, or the code could be sent to your email address. And so with two-factor authentication, you're much your your system is much more secure. So to turn on these extra security settings. Simply go to the settings page and then select security and login and then on the left side and then scroll down to setting up extra security. So that's the that would be the those would be the things that you could do. Now, many people are just saying, why don't I just leave Facebook? So a lot of people just leaving Facebook. And then, of course, if you don't put any data in Facebook, you are protected. But remember, if you delete your account, your account's deleted, but the data still there. And it's still used by Facebook. There's, they don't, there's they, no way to get rid of the data. They don't. They don't get rid of the data. They That's don't crazy. promise to get rid of the data. Mm. So, so you, so what is on the web stays on the web. And if you don't want it, to, if you don't want to share it with the world, don't put it on the web. Yep, there you Listen, go. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you at the next show, or I may email you immediately. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. I think you scared him during oh, the break. Oh, yeah. He's right on the money this time. Yeah, Today we're going to feature be. Rakesh Agrawal. Rakesh Agrawal is best known as father of data mining. <laughs> Having developed many of the fundamental data mining and data privacy concepts, Rakesh was born in India in 1952. In 1975, he received his bachelor of science degree in electrical engineering and communications engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology in Roorkee, India. And after he got his bachelor's degree, he was hired by a software company, Bharat Heavy Electricals Limited in Hardwar, India. So we, he, worked, he worked there, and then while he was working there, he decided to work on his master's degree. So in 1978, he received a postgraduate diploma in industrial engineering from the National Institute of Industrial Engineers in Mumbai, India. Post 
graduate diploma is like another name for a master's degree, but in but in India. Gotcha. Uh, then he decided to move to the U.S. in 1980, and he and he and he started attending the computer sciences program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. In 1983, he received a master's degree and a Ph.D. in computer science from University of Wisconsin. He got them both at the same time because he was in a Ph.D. program. He just awarded the master's degree with, along the way. As soon as he got his Ph.D. in computer sciences from University of Wisconsin. He was hired as a technical member, as a, as a member of the technical staff at Bell Laboratories in Murray Hill, New Jersey. And he, he was there for seven years working uh, in, in the, uh, in, on, on, on basically databases. But then in 1990, he was hired as a research fellow by the IBM Almaden Research Center in San Jose, California. And this is where he did some of his most most creative work. He was really getting up to speed. And this was where he began pioneering his data mining techniques. It's very rare that a researcher will create not only a product, but an entire industry. So he created not only data mining projects, but from those projects spanned an entire data mining industry. So what we're suffering now we can all look back to Rakesh and say, thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you, Rakesh, for <laughs> you, what you did for us. Yeah, or to us. <clears throat> IBM's data mining product was called the Intelligent Miner. It grew right out of Rakesh's research. Then IBM introduced, IBM's introduction of the Intelligent Miner and the associated services created a whole new category of software and services. His research has been incorporated to many other commercial products, including DB2 Mining Extender, DB2 is at the, that's the IBM database, relational database, DB2 mining extender. Uh, he also did the DB2 OLAP server. OLAP stands for online analytical processing. That's a uh, database structure that allows for high-speed real-time transaction processing. Uh, he also, uh, his work also was built into the WebSphere commerce server, all IBM products. In 2006, he was hired by, as a Microsoft Research Fellow by the Microsoft Research Labs in Mountain View, California, and he led the Search Labs, which, of course, the Bing search engine, and he was using data mining techniques to help make Bing searches more effective. He left uh, Microsoft in 2014 and founded his own company called Data Insights Labs in San Francisco Bay Area. It's a startup devoted to software and services that employ deep insights from mine data. Now, what that means, they're using machine learning to mine the data. So there was a transformation that happened in this whole data mining area since when he began and what, where we have now. In the beginning, the data mining just was using statistical methods to get correlations between different data types, different data sets, and using those correlations, you could infer things. And then when machine learning evolved, machine learning techniques were used to to probe the data and get even more nuanced correlations that, that you couldn't get with just, you know, conventional statistical methods. And so the advent of machine learning has made data mining far, far, far more effective. Now, Rakesh is an innovator, and he's a thought leader. That's why they call him father of data mining. He's a thought leader, and he's driven by the desire to make the world a better place through scientific breakthroughs and practical working systems. He realized that with data mining, privacy is the issue, and that bothered him. His brother, it turned out, was an orthopedic surgeon, and he and his brother one day were, were talking about, well, in the case of, like, doctors, they have the Hippocratic Oath, where a doctor says he will not harm anyone in the process of doing his work. And mm -hmm. so they take the Hippocratic Oath when they become doctors. And out of that conversation, <clears throat> he said, I wonder if we could get the application of something like the Hippocratic Oath but apply it to databases, where the database will do no harm. The database will not share data that it shouldn't share. The database will honor the privacy that, that should be baked into it from the very first moment that you provide the data. So he developed 
what he called Hippocratic databases. So, uh, so I, I think he's on to something here, and this may be sort of the seed to the solution of all of this, this privacy issue. And Hippocratic databases are designed to share an information in a way that honors privacy. So if these big data companies would um, create databases that follow these processes in the Hippocratic, Hippocratic databases that Rakesh has talked about, we wouldn't have this problem of your data being shared without you knowing it or because it would follow whatever you had requested and whatever you wanted. Now, most recently, he's been active in education, working on ways where they could use the mobile devices that are everywhere now to benefit students. He's particularly interested in helping students in emerging countries like India because Education is really a key in India. They've got their, the average age in northern India is 22. They've got a lot of young people there that need education. They've got this huge educational demand. And, and there's a great divide in India. Not everybody gets equal education. And it, so he would like to push education out to everyone, even in the poorest areas, the poorest of the poor areas, using mobile devices. He's really, he's really driven by doing altruistic things with data. That's what I like about him. You know, we hear all this bad stuff that maybe Facebook is doing or Google's doing. Here's the guy who's father of data mining. He's focused on doing the right thing with the data. And I think there's uh, there's hope in all of that. That's why I wanted to feature him today because I didn't want to talk only about bad stuff with data. Because right. there are some good sides of what's going on, too. Um, Agarwal has won many major awards, recognizes pioneering contributions to database systems and database privacy. He's recipient of the ACM SIG KDD First Innovation Award, the ACM SIGMOD Edgar F. Codd Innovation Award. Edgar F. Codd is the man, of course, who invented the theoretical framework of relational databases, among others. The Scientific American named him to the list of the top 50 scientists in 2003. So there you go, an individual born in India, got his Ph.D. and master's degree in the U.S., by virtue of the U.S. visa system, stayed in the U.S., and made major contributions to the U.S. technology by virtue of his uh, creativity. And there's all you need to know about Rakesh Agrawal. Hope you're paying attention because your knowledge may get you free lunch coming up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please, please be seated. They're being compliant today. Maybe they're tired. 
This is not merely a radio show. No. This, as you know, is a classroom of the airways. Yes. And we're going to sit. We're going to assess whether this raucous cl- crowd has been listening by giving them a pop quiz. Yeah. And if they get the right, right answer to the pop quiz, or if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A plus for today's class. You'll also get tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, I talked about Rakesh Agrawal. He's the father of data mining. And later in his career, he came up with the idea of the Hippocratic database. Where, what prompted him to even think of this? What, who did he talk to to think of the Hippocratic database, and, and why did he come up with it? Okay. If yes. you know the answer to today's question, don't leave us hanging. Pick up your device and dial us now. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're ice fishing for bitcoins in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. If you don't know the answer, but you're just lonely and need a friend to talk to, call us on the international line, 8779-3639-333. And if you're calling from the bottom of a data mine, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. And the Mitchell adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Let's talk about the idea of the week. Li-Fi, an alternative to Wi-Fi. Philips Lighting has been providing the Internet to an office in France using nothing but its lights. See, I've got Philips lights, I know lights over my house. I'm kind of excited about you, this. Uh, yeah, you probably have stock in Philips Lighting. I've got, I got 50 Philips light bulbs all over connected. I can, actually, I can turn my light bulbs on and off from uh, India. Which which is creates some issues in the house. Well, you do. I think you do it just to mess with people. I can also open and close the garage door from India, <laughs> which creates other issues. <laughs> can you lock the issues. garage door? No, I can't lock it, but I can open and close it. Uh, and so LIFI stands for light fidelity. The term was for, first coined in 2011 in a TED Talk by the University of Edinburgh professor Harold Haas, who had been develop, de- developing it in his lab at the time. Now, it's been under further development by various researchers in the years since. Li-Fi is basically just a high-speed wireless data transmission using light instead of radio waves. And that light can come from something as simple as a desktop lamp. Now, you need to modulate it very quickly to send this digital signal, so incandescent light bulbs don't work very well because you got they have to heat and cool, heat and cool, and their, their bandwidth would be too low. On the other hand, LED lights are perfect because they can be modulated very quickly. And so data, so the light basically transmits the data by having a very fast flicker that's so fast the eye can't even detect it. And you could you could attach a laptop to the Li-Fi network. At this point, you could put a little dongle in there, and the dongle would have two pieces with it. It would have a little detector that would detect the incoming signal and, a, and an infrared transmitter that would send signal back. And now... I think in the future, uh, all of our laptops will be configured to support Li-Fi. It'll just have, you know, two small sensors in them. It'll have one emitter and one sensor, and you'll be, you'll be ready to go. Now, the nice thing about Li-Fi is that you, since you're using the uh, uh, vi- visual frequency, you've got much more bandwidth. You've got 2,600 times more bandwidth than, the, than with the radio spectrum. So that means that we could meet all the demands for high-speed data over the next 20 years with just eight-tenths of the visible network and of the invisible light network, like the infrared. So this will solve a bandwidth problem. That also, Li-Fi also works better. You know, we got a building with, like, thick walls. You know, Wi-Fi mm-hmm. doesn't go through the thick walls. But now if you just send it over the wires and you just, you know, you send it and it's just transmitted out through light bulbs... You don't have to worry about thick walls, so it makes it much easier to, you know, if you're going to, you know, put Wi-Fi in an entire building, it could be just much, much quicker and easy, more easily done, and then you don't have to have a, you know, a Wi-Fi hotspot in every, in every room. And at a broader scale, on city, on on a city scale, you could have street lights transmitting Wi-Fi. Sure. 
So you, you could basically communicate to vehicles. You could communicate to people walking around. You could have citywide wide Internet. So Li-Fi is a great idea. I think the time has come for this, and uh, we're going to see it coming quite frequently. Oh, but there's one other question that I did have. They said, does that mean you have to, have to have the lights on all the time to get Internet? It turns out that the LEDs also have some in infrared emission, so you could you could set it up where you would have infrared emission and not visible emission, so so you wouldn't actually see the light bulb. Interesting. Oh, you know what that means? Yeah, yeah. He's gonna play our game. It's time to play the pop quiz. Let us go first to line one. James from Baltimore. James, good morning. How are you? Hey, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, are you listening on the radio or on the internet? Radio. Radio. Cool. Excellent. Good to know. All right, Dr. Schertz, so please ask the question. Other, earlier in the show, we talked about uh, Rakesh Agrawal. What gave him the idea for the Hippocratic database? I believe it's uh, his brother was a surgeon, so he brought up the idea, and that was the uh, genesis of the whole thing. That is That's it. very good. Very good. James, Excellent. thanks a lot. Thank you for calling. Thanks for listening. Oh, Dr. Shirts, tell him what he's won. Oh, yes. Tickets to fine dining at one of the uh, one of the Stratford dining rooms. When we've got one up there in Baltimore. At the, we do. Uh, yeah, That's right. Central. Yes. Very good. Excellent. James, thanks for listening this Saturday morning. Hang on. We're going to send you back to Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control. This is Tech Talk Radio, and you're listening to us on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m., 103.9 FM HD 2 and 103.5 FM HD 2. Find us on the web at techtalkonline.com. Go to stratford.university.com. Go to the bottom of the page, and that's where you find that. Also, we're on federalnewsradio.com. More of Tech Talk coming up in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu 18 it that's stratford.edu 18 it If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now let's talk about this big Facebook controversy yes. and the implications of all this data mining. Now Mark Zuckerberg finally responded to the controversy regarding Cambridge Analytica which has been accused of harvesting 50 million Facebook profiles without the user consent. Now, we do, do we have a... Some we do have... Okay, this is... Tell me my impression of this when I first heard okay. this. Okay. This was a major breach of trust, and, and I'm really sorry that this happened. Um, you know, we have a basic responsibility to protect people's data, and if we can't do that, then, then we don't deserve to have the opportunity to serve people. Okay, so what was your reaction when you first heard that? Uh, that was pretty disingenuous. Exactly, that's the so. word. I, I sat in the car and heard uh, that and said, right, he yeah, sure. He doesn't really... Nope. He doesn't really mean it. Because it doesn't align with what he said at the developer conferences nope. where he's begging them to use the data, which right. I'm going to talk a little bit later. But what they did say later on, okay, what is Facebook going to do? Now that they've had the mayor Culp, he says, we are going to audit every app, and we're going to make certain that they're not violating the Facebook's data usage conditions. Now, he didn't say that they were going to change the data usage conditions, okay? He said, Facebook is going to create a new tool that's going to be right at the top of the news feed that shows what apps 
you have granted the rights to your data to. That tool, which actually could look at where your permissions were residing, used to be hidden. And it was very hard to find. Now they're going to make it so you can find it easily. It'll be right at the top of the news feed. You can click on it and see which apps you've given rights to your data, and then you can reverse that. Facebook said they'll limit developers' data access. They're going to remove data access data. They're going to remove data from a developer's access if you have not used their app for three months. That's one policy that thing that they're going to make. Now, why was this a big controversy? Because Cambridge Analytics pulled all this data. It was the same way that, say, the Obama administration pulled the data during Obama's time. But it turns out now it was being used for Republican purposes rather than Democrat purposes. And there was a huge, huge outcry. And this, uh, and this thing hit the, hit, the, hit the streets because there was a whistleblower that, that, you know, that talked to the Guardian there in, in England and, and talked about how they had used the data. Of course, Facebook sold them the access to the data, just like they sold access to the data to Russians. You know, Facebook also, Sheryl Sandberg said, oh, we were caught off guard by this whole Russian thing. And, and Carol Sandberg said, the things that happened the last election were just unacceptable. We were not prepared for that. We had no idea that if we would sell access to the data to these Russian guys, that they would do bad things. Facebook just seems so surprised when the data that they've sold actually was used for nefarious purposes. But here's, let's go back to Mark Zuckerberg and, and what he's basically said. Back in 2007, Mark Zuckerberg invited developers to build businesses using Facebook data. And he said, we'll let you tap into all the users' friends and all their likes and all their interests. Invited them to build it, and he says, we're going to make that data available because we want to monetize that data. It was a big announcement in 2007. In 2010, Zuckerberg took it a step further, and he said the company's loosening its grips on the data, so you can use the data even more easily. Mm-hmm. You just pay us a little bit more, and, it's going to, and we're going to allow you to store the data indefinitely. Now, that's when Obama was able, the campaign was able to suck the data out of Facebook and use it. And if you remember back then, the digital uh, campaign that Obama put on, they were, they were viewed as miraculous. They were just unbelievably smart how they were doing that. But they were pulling all the Facebook data out at the time uh, right from Facebook, and Facebook was actually helping them do it. Now, they did get a little pushback, Facebook, and in 2015 they started tightening their data, their data uh, controls, tighten up a little bit because they were, they were getting a, a little bit of heat. But on Twitter... Carol Davison, she was a former director of integration and media analytics for Obama in America, explained how in 2012, uh, how the 2012 Obama campaign harnessed Facebook's application programming interface to assess the company's social graph that mapped all the users' connections. Now, this enabled the camp campaign to access information on users, friends, and where they use the and whenever they use the Facebook login button to access the um, campaign's website. According to Davison, Facebook came by the office in the days following the elections, uh, following election recruiting, and were very candid that they wanted us to do whatever we could do with their data <laughs> because they said, you guys are on our side. This is what the uh, Carol Davison said who, who worked for the campaign. The data ex- this data expert who worked on the campaign from November 2011 to November 2012 added that she felt uncomfortable about the project now, Facebook has denied that there was any favoritism toward Obama, but there was really no pushback. And they further said that they treated Obama and Romney the same way. But you can see there is, once this data is there, it's dangerous because mm-hmm. it can be used in multiple ways. See, that was the thing that I, the, the, after I got over the uh-huh. feeling that he was being so disingenuous, I'm thinking, would we even be hearing about this if it weren't the Republicans? Yeah, that's that, yeah. that 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 would be that that would be the and that's why there's the there's the big the big upcry. Mm-hmm. But I have to say there is one small difference that is that is they did change the rules in 2015 and so for uh Cambridge Analytica to get the data they were violating some of the newly implemented rules mm-hmm. that had been that had been put in place in 2015. Those rules were not in place in 2012. You see, so there is a small difference sure. here in, in the two cases, but 
There's no, but it's very clear that Facebook had no had no trouble, you know, helping one campaign but not the other. Now, there's another study out here that's interesting. Let's talk about data mining is also used for, for for handling search results. So there's a there's a company called there's a, a website called Can I Rank, and they and they basically study the search engines. And they've concluded that Internet search engines are playing an increasingly prominent role in shaping voter opinion because you search for things and what comes up on the first page is all you see. And they have discovered that Google is biasing those search results, those first page search results, based on the ranking algorithm, uh, particularly when it comes to controversial issues. Now, in order to assess how fairly search engines portray political candidates or controversial issues, they collected 1,200 URLs that ranked high in, on Google.com for politically charged keywords like gun control, abortion, TPP, uh, or Black Lives Matter. And each URL was then assessed for a political slant, whether it's right or left. Then finally, the Can I Rank SEO software analyzed how each URL compared to dozens of different ranking factors to determine whether Google's algorithm treated websites in a similar way. Among the key findings were that in the top search results, you were 40% more likely to complain left or left slanted information on the first page. Moreover, 16% of the political keywords contained no right-leaning pages at all within the first page of results. Similar bias was found in Facebook feed, news feed pages, where they were doing advertising and news. They were actually editing and censoring the news as it went in. And there have been similar control, uh, you know, complaints about YouTube video filtering or blocking YouTube videos where, that, where YouTube's videos that don't agree with the, with the politics of Google. Now, even though Google's attempting to portray itself as fair and balanced, this indicates that it's not so fair and balanced. Now, here's the issue. We've got privacy. We've got censoring. Now, as you remember, if you hear all the words from Silicon Valley, they're talking about net neutrality. They're saying, if we don't have net neutrality, it's terrible. Well, net neutrality is, is basically, these are the pipes that are run by Verizon or, or Comcast or AT&T. And net neutrality means that you can all your packets can go down there and you don't favor one one, you know, one vendor over another. I've seen no evidence of any of these ISPs doing anything to violate net neutrality standards at all. I mean, I've been running over-the-top uh, content with Verizon. I've got friends that do it with AT&T. You don't have to get their services. These pipes are pretty, pretty straight. I don't think that's the issue. I think the real issue is this. What's being put into the pipes? What's being put into the pipes? And is that a fair a fair and balanced representation of what we have. So we've got the issue of privacy. So let's let's break these things out. Privacy. Privacy is when b big data companies sell your data to try to influence your opinion or get you to buy a product. Basically, they're turning your data into money, and they'll sell it to a company that wants to sell you something, and then they'll deliver ads to you. If they know that you're that you just had a baby, all the ads are going to be baby products, baby furniture. And that's and they've sold your information in order for that targeted ad delivery. Uh, you should be able to decide that you don't want that data shared with companies. Then the second thing would be selling the data, selling the data for to organizations that want to use use the data to sell you a political candidate. That would be the, the situation of selling it to uh to a Republican campaign or a Democrat campaign or selling to the Russians. You know, those are the two areas, and both of those are violations of privacy. And I think it's all right if you actually know how your data is being used and you get permission and you know that's what they're doing. That's that's fine. That's, so that gets back to this Hippocrat, Hippocratic database where you actually honor the privacy requests of the individual. Something more insidious, though, is censoring because you don't really know when censoring occurs, I mean, you're, you're seeing a news feed and with all of the um, all of the data mining that's out there, they know exactly how to influence. It's almost like brainwashing. They can deliver stuff to you. And that censoring is a real issue. And it's a and, and so what we may need is something that was developed for radio and broadcast television in 1927 when they were worried about 
you know, one station controlling too much. And in that law, they said you had to have equal access. So right. I'm thinking that we should have something like equal access applied to the data that goes into the pipes. And there should be severe penalties if there are consistent biases on how this is being delivered. I mean, just like if radio stations or TV stations are are, are doing something which isn't balanced during right. elections. And, and I, they still have to do that. They, they still have to adhere they, to that. They still have to do that. And, and I think that the Internet has become the new broadcast yeah, media. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm thinking the FCC, instead of worrying about net neutrality, they should worry about data neutrality. Mm-hmm. That is the issue. But if you listen to the to the drumbeat coming out of Silicon Valley, net neutrality, net neutrality, net neutrality, and they won't ever want to talk about data neutrality or having their practices audited. So this is really dangerous when one or two companies can control this. Now, I mean, you could say, well, well, my side's got it, so I don't care. But there's going to be a time when, when they're going to be biased against something that you want, and it's going to not work out so well. So I think all Americans, whether Democrat or Republican, should try to get this under control in a very logical way. And I don't think net neutrality is the issue and say, who should manage this? Probably the Federal Communications Commission. Now, why do we have this lack of regulation? Congress has not passed any laws relating to the Internet. I mean, the Federal Communications Act, was FCC Act, was created a long time ago before the Internet, and they're applying Internet management techniques that that were using regulations that were written for the telephone company. Yeah. And so... Congress actually has been silent in this. I think we need legislation that actually addresses data neutrality. I mean, if they want to do net neutrality, that's fine. But I think data neutrality is the issue. And it's really become very clear with this uproar over Cambridge Analytica that people get upset if the wrong side is doing it. So that means there is a problem, and I think it should be addressed. Mm -hmm. Now, people are quite upset with... uh, Facebook, so you can you can delete your Facebook account. But does it matter? Well, your data will still be there, but new data won't be there. Now, here's mm-hmm. the thing. If you want to delete your Facebook account, there's no, in the settings, there's no button that says delete. you got to search right. for it. yes. So you have to go to facebook.com slash help slash delete underscore account. So you got, it's kind of hard to find how to delete it, but you can delete it. And uh, now what you can do if you decide to delete your account this is the advice I would give you. Download a copy of your Facebook data. They actually have a way where you can download all of your your entire Facebook page to your computer. You just go to settings once you're logged in, and you click a, a, a link called download a copy of your Facebook data, and it will download everything from your Facebook account. Do that first so you have all your pictures and everything right. that you have up there. Then you can delete your account. It'll take about three days probably for your account to be deleted. Now, if you log into your account to check if it's deleted, once you log into it, you've canceled the the delete request. Right. So you just have to let it be deleted. But remember, your data will still be there even after deletion. Forever. 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 We love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you at the next show. Or we may email you directly or immediately if it's an emergency. And go to the Stratford University website at stratford.edu. Check out all those programs in computer science, healthcare, nursing, culinary arts, hospitality, business, accounting. And let them know that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. 
Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com/podcast1. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.